This is Welcome Home Radio from the Fresno Association of Realtors on 940 KYNO. Good morning and welcome to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host on our Valley's most informative real estate talk show. This hour is being presented by the Fresno Association of Realtors. And the goal that we have is to provide our listeners the real facts, real stats, and the real situation about what's happening in our local market. Uh, I say local market because what's happening in New Jersey may not really apply here. Uh, Or upstate New York, where probably tomorrow we're all going to see a lot of snow on the ground for the, the Buffalo Bills game. Um, so, but things are different here. Um, and, and the same applies in real estate. Um, well, to help me with this, we bring in some really good guests every week and no exception this week, we're bringing in Bo Miracle of Miracle Realty. Good morning. Good morning. And the brains of the operation, your son, Dylan Miracle. (laughs) I don't know about that. Good morning. No, I'm the one that said that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've known your dad a while, so you know I know I could say that about yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> In fact, <clears throat> I've got to say this about Bo Miracle. I, I, every time I see you, I think of something big time that I learned from you as far as being in this business. Um, you were one of the very first guests that we had after the big COVID lockdown. Uh, but we were now able to get out and show homes on a limited basis and I asked Bo what how do we do this and your answer told me a lot I don't know if you remember this of course I do. you have we we're gonna have to learn to hone our listening skills and that is maybe what's gonna separate us in the future from artificial intelligence it, it uh, us humans have that ability to listen um, I don't know that artificial intelligence does. Um, you know, when I get those phone calls from artificial intelligence and I say, you know what, I can't talk right now, they don't seem to hear. <laughs> so um, that, that so we got to hone our listening skills. And as a son, I'm sure that you've learned that, right? You always listen to your dad? Uh, well, only when he's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only when he's right, <laughs> or only when he agrees with you. Yeah. Usually, it takes some time to to kind of chew on it, but usually, I end up listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Dylan. How how long have you done this? Yeah, I've been in the business now uh, three and a half years. All right. Yeah. Good. What do you think of it so far? Uh, it's cool, man. I really mm-hmm. like. I like the. I like constantly learning. I like uh, kind of the chase and, and learning new things and. Um, I've learned a lot since being in the business. I have a lot of good people in my life. So uh, it's been a really, really fun journey so far. All right. Excellent. And Bo, um, how long have you been in this business? Uh, so I've been doing it a little about 14 years now since uh, a little before 2011. Um, kind of took over the business and got the buck handed over to me when my dad passed. Uh, Merrick Realty has been around since 1976, serving Fresno, Clovis, Singer, and Madera. Wow. All right. Um, so this is kind of a family legacy. Yes, I would say so. <laughs> All right. Um, but you guys don't just do sales. What, what else does Miracle Realty do? 
so we're I wouldn't say we're a one stop shop, but we're we're kind of a uh, we have a niche and we do property management. So we do serve investors and uh, you know rentals, uh, as well as we do a lot of investment and commercial, ag and other various sales. Mm-hmm. And I understand well. You s- said your company started off with Fresno, Madera, Sanger, so. So Central ba- Valley. Yeah. So back in like the heyday, there was three offices, Singer, Clovis, and Fresno. And in the 70s, there was upwards to 55 agents total. So in that, this time and age, that would probably be a couple hundred. Mm-hmm. All right. Excellent. And um, you also, Bo, have a job this year as the uh, vice chair of the Fresno Multiple Listing Service. Yes, that's so, correct. So welcome to the job. Uh, and that's going to be a very important job because that's how we all cooperate. And that's how sharing, which is something our parents taught us. Dylan, your dad taught you that, right? Yeah. Share? Yeah. All right. <laughs> um, and that's what we do with our listings. That's how we, we um, expose our listings to the greatest amount of buyers and offer our buyers the greatest amount of opportunities to buy Mm -hmm. so that'll be an important um, position you have this year yeah no i'm looking forward to it i mean i know that the mls is a mover and shaker like you said to our consumers as well as well as to our agents so i'm looking i'm looking forward to being part of the leadership team and you know getting involved with the president association for sure so what got you interested in leadership so, I mean, you know, obviously with taking over Miracle Realty back in 2011, um, I was kind of force-fed a little bit, but I do have a military background. I was in the Marine Corps, so I think it was a little bit of instillment from that. But um, fast forward, you know, I was part of the association in Madera. I was on the board there. I've been on many boards since then as far as whether it's Madera Community, or Madera Unified, whatever the case might be. But uh, for this particular uh, opportunity, uh, Gary Carter, who was um, a professor at Fresno City, uh, before I become a licensed realtor, uh, he actually kind of encouraged me to be part of the Fresno Association leadership. So um, I took the opportunity, and they voted me in, and here I am. Okay, and Gary Carter is this year's president of the Fresno Association of Realtors. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, all right. Um, Excellent. And, and I've been to some of Gary's classes at Fresno City College. He had me in as a speaker. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'll never cool. forgive him. <laughs> <laughs> it was tough having all those 19-year-olds and, oh, excuse me, Dylan, <laughs> all those young people asking questions. But, hey, it was great. That's awesome. Um, I'm going to throw out a few market statistics for sure. 2023 now that – it's over the the stats are in um and see what do you take of it so i'm get first i'm going to give you fresno county but also have madera county here in fresno county um the median sold price it remained at 400,000 same as it was in 22 but up from 2021 at 360 and up from 2020 at 305. So it's gone up almost 25% in four years. Um, what's your take on that? F- four years is about what you've been in it, Dylan. So yeah. y- you've seen appreciation. For sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I that's kind of right, right around the time I started in the business around 2020. Um, for me, what that sounds like is, you know, obviously, um, although the media may not show that, um, we're still seeing appreciation. And although leveled off from 23, um, or 22 rather, I mean, I, I think houses are still appreciating and stuff, and that there's still people out there buying houses. It's just not as much as we've seen during 2020 because there's a little bit of buyer shock with the interest rates, but that doesn't mean that houses aren't still selling. Yeah, that's right. And I have a little disclaimer here. You always hear me bashing statistics. Um, but even though 2022 and 2023 are still at 400,000, if you were to do this on a monthly basis, you would see a roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I shouldn't say a roller coaster, but it it isn't as stable right. as those annual statistics sure. would lead you to. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, but here here's another interesting statistic. <clears throat> the number of transactions is down. Mm-hmm. Um from in 2020 during covid we had 8700 then it went to 9400 it's like we were rebounding um in 2021 then it dropped to 7900 2023 was only 6200 transactions you compare that to two years earlier that's a almost a 30 percent drop what what's causing that well, <clears throat> from my perspective, I think that, you know, there's a, still uh, a lot of supply that's not out there, right, which is the demand that we have. But because of what's happening, because lower interest rates, like pri- pri- prior to COVID and during COVID, I mean, people are in their 3% interest rates. So if they were to sell their home and go to what might be now a 5 6 or 7% interest rate, they're holding on to those. So it's like, you know, they don't want to give up their position in selling their home, but at the same time, there's, there's a high demand for, for consumers because there's not enough supply. So that's where you're getting the stability, but the numbers are, are going downwards because there's not enough supply out there. So I think All it's right. kind of a contradictory if you say. Yeah, and I, I think a little <clears throat> bit of a spin on that is like, um, I think we're seeing some stability because th- although the amount of transactions has decreased, there still are a significant amount of buyers out there, but some have dropped off because they can't afford the houses where there still are people doing that. But we're seeing a s- small decrease in the amount of transactions because some people are holding onto their assets because if they were to sell now versus COVID, they're going to be downgrading their lifestyle. Whereas during COVID, I mean, it was it was essentially like Black Friday. So you could get these very small rates. You could get big houses for low mortgage rates. So everyone wanted to sell and everyone wanted to buy. So it was, it was a good time to be in real estate, but it was a crazy time to be a real estate agent. Yeah. And I think one of the motivators during COVID was they told you shelter at home. Home was the key word mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it people appreciated a home as much as like in 2001, after 9-11, I saw a huge demand for housing come up after that because people appreciated home more and to what it really meant. Um, all right, it's time for our first commercial break, but when we get back, we're gonna get into some real estate investing. Thank you. Well, 
Well, welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host, and we have Bo Miracle and Dylan Miracle of Miracle Realty in here. And now we're going to talk about real estate investing. So our intro music was, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. So someone who is ready to play in, in uh, real estate investing, what's your advice? Oh, man, I mean, there's a, a few different ways you can do it. I mean, it, it depends on the appetite of the investor. If you're looking for more of a short-term play and you want that, the kind of the, the big hit of cash flow and you're looking more of like a, a flipping type real estate investing or you have the more um, seasoned appetite where you're looking for more of a longer-term play and that's that of uh, buying an asset um, that'll produce you cash flow every month, what we know as a rental. So it really just kind of depends on what the um, the goal of the investor is, are you looking for a short-term play to get some bigger cash flow, or are you looking for the long-term play to build some wealth? Yeah. So that's important. Know what your goal is. Yeah. And everybody will have different motivations. I, I remember I had a guy come to me a few years ago, uh, and he wanted to buy some things. That I said, well, you know, that one's not going to pencil out. He said, good. I need the tax write-off. The guy made big-time money. Um on the, his daytime job, uh, and he needed something that would give him future appreciation, but give him a loss right now. It, and it worked for him. Go figure. Yeah. Who who would ever think losing money could make you money? Yeah, I know. You, well, and that's the beautiful thing about real estate investing, right? There's so many different opportunities, <clears throat> strategies. It just depends on your buy box, what your exits are you know, and predetermining again what the goal is, you know, I mean, when we're, when we're coming across opportunities with investments, you know, we're problem solvers, right? Not everybody is going to fit a perfect box. Some people don't want to be on the open market. They're embarrassed or they're going through some legal issues or whatever the case might be. It's our job kind of going back to the credit that you gave me, honing in on our listening skills and understanding what their goal is or what their problem is so we can bring a solution, right? It's the same thing when you're incoming for an invest investment opportunity. You need to be able to strategize and know what your numbers are going to look like and what the end goal is with that. And I, I, to second that, I think the like where I was saying earlier, like it's important to know what your goal is. For us, our goal is to find deals and then we find the proper exit from there. So with sometimes it's holding it, sometimes it's flipping it. But I think when you're a newer investor, it's really important to understand what your appetite is and what you're trying to do because you chase two rabbits, you get none. Ah, that's, that's great advice. Yeah. Um, so what advice would you give if you honed your listening skills and you're listening to somebody and they say, you know, I'm doing real well right now on my job, got income, uh, but I want to buy something for the future. I want to buy something to give to my kids. I'm not giving you any ideas here, Bo. <laughs> not giving to your kids. But um, what what kind of advice would you give them? I would probably, I'm a, I'm a younger cat, so maybe um, this is for future Dylan, but um, I would take more of the approach. I mean, if you have a, if you have a, a good nine to five job, something that's given you a good consistent active income, I would probably lean you more in the direction of connecting with some type of either seasoned investor or seasoned real estate agent that's kind of been there, done that. So they can kind of show you the ropes and tell you what a good opportunity is. And then that opportunity would probably be buying an asset and holding the asset that produces cash flow. That'll produce some some wealth for your family. You'll see some appreciation as well as some some debt pay down as well as some cash flow every single month. And it's not gonna take up too much of your time from your day job. Okay, that would be good advice. So you're you're saying 
um, holding so, so long term. Given the goal of the prospect that you named. Yes. Yeah. 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 Right. And we heard something pretty interesting from a guy that we follow on social media, but we just came from a Las Vegas, uh, basically, conference. And uh, one of the speakers has a $100 million portfolio. And so what he said is cash flow is good and everything, but you're going to spend that money, right? Whether it's on bills, luxuries, whatever the case is. To build true wealth, and you can do it through real estate, is to buy and hold real estate kind of like what we were talking about earlier on the before the commercial yeah uh, you know for for you to get one property is good but in 30 years from now you know if you have something at a four percent interest rate in the stock market or whatever staying consistent it will never compound like real estate would you add two three four five properties to that you mm. now are a millionaire and have a million dollars plus in assets through real estate and it's not as hard as most people think mm-hmm Okay, here's an interesting analogy. So um, I had a old, old-time mentor who told me buying real estate is like buying a cow. I go, what are you, are you talking about, a cash cow? He goes, no. He said, a cow has two sets of income. You can milk it and get uh, sell the milk, or you can um, keep it, and, and it's an asset that it produces in the future <clears throat> and he says that <clears throat> excuse me that's exactly what a home does or, or real estate does it produces monthly income um, so that's one source but then there's also that growing asset so when you sell it you have something there so you can make it on the equity um, I guess you had to be there to understand the cow one. <laughs> no, the, I mean the cow. The cow makes sense. I mean, again, kind of going back to the cash flow versus the opportunity to generational wealth to that prospect. Like one property is not going to make you rich on cash flow, right? But if you save your ducats and you invest in that cow, the milk gets a little bit more each time it grows, right? So you get more milk from each cow. You're going to get more milk, and over time, that cash flow plus the equity that you've established is really, really substantial. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's say we have another person that comes to you uh, for advice, and they said, you know, I, I need to make some money. Uh, I'm good at fixing things, uh, and I just inherited a little bit of money here. Um, what's, you know, should I buy and hold? Or should I buy and flip it? Yeah. What what what's good advice for somebody like that? I would probably lean in the direction. There's two different avenues that you could take. It depends on again your appetite as a, as someone that can withstand uh, adversity. So you have you have option number one, which is you have to find the deal, right? And then that's the most important part if you're going to be a, a new time investor. You have to find the deal, and then you can figure everything else out. But first thing is find find the deal. You could do it yourself, fix it up, you flip it. Or the second thing, and I think a lot of times people overlook this because social media doesn't really emphasize this as much. It's not as pretty or as sexy, right? But um, you find someone that's kind of been there, done that, and you provide value to them. So if you have all the time in the world, but you don't have the money, you should team up with someone that does have the money, but doesn't have the time that's kind of been there, done that. And you say, hey, this is kind of what I'm looking to do. I'm handy. I can do the work for you. I can go find you deals, but I don't have any of the experience. I don't have any of the money. 
can, can we maybe establish some type of partnership? You can, they can either pay you as a contractor and you get to learn the ropes of the business, or you can split profits 50-50 and then you get to learn the business as you kind of go along without having to take as much risk. The other option is the sexier option, the, the kind of rags to riches where you go and find the deal yourself, you do everything, and you, and you can make it work. It's just a lot harder and takes a lot longer. I would rather, now looking back, take the approach of teaming up with an investor that's kind of been there, done that. All right, so forming a partnership and um, somebody told me this long time ago, when you form a partnership, make sure that your strengths are their weaknesses yeah. and their weaknesses are your strengths because then you'll have a, a complementary partnership. Mm -hmm. If you both have the cash, but you neither one of you has the experience, that might not work so well exactly or or the other way around mm -hmm. well yeah. that goes back to like what he said with bringing value right the value is in the, the opportunity the, the opportunity is in the deal right so again if you don't have any money right but you want to go get into flipping or investing or whatever the case might be do something about trying to find the deal and then if you don't have the experience partner up with an experienced person right because he's more <coughs> apt to work with you because you brought an opportunity to him which is the value so that's right. why people are more apt to, to partner with that. Tell us about a typical flip. Yeah, um, a typical flip has a few different buckets that we like to kind of assess it through. So uh, number one is condition, right? The property needs to be in some type of distress, typically, unless you buy it at a deep enough discount. So you need the property to have maybe the roof's leaking, maybe there's a bunch of cars on the property. There's some type of distress. Usually that comes from someone that's owned real estate that's been an investment for them. So that's first thing is condition. The second thing when we're identifying properties that there needs to be some type of motivation because in this particular situation, the homeowner, nobody understands why someone would sell for cash at a discount, but it again depends on an owner in this situation needs some type of motivation to sell because they're trading equity for speed and convenience. They are wanting to sell because they wanna be done with it. They don't wanna publicize it. Maybe they're embarrassed. So the two biggest buckets that we're looking at is condition of the home. Does it need work that we can force appreciation? And number two, does the homeowner have motivation that they wanna sell now and sell quick? And they're willing to trade a little bit of equity for that convenience. I liked what you said there, force, force the appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, my cousin sent me a text yesterday from Southern California. She was at a seminar on flipping. It sounded too good to be true. Um, you know, so how do you know when it's too good to be true? Well, I mean, if you're at a seminar, it's like being on Instagram, right? Everyone shows like the, the very uh, nice things to say, the Instagram highlights, so to speak, right? Yeah, um, in their diagram, they bought the house for $40,000. I don't know if even a really bad distressed property that's gonna sell for only 40,000. Yeah, it, it is, uh, it, it has been done. Uh, they are unicorn deals, as we like to call them. They do not, you cannot count on those. And it's funny because at seminars, they'll talk about the unicorn deals because that's the things that are, that, that make the most sense to the consumer and you'll get the most attention, right? Um, that being said, um, when it's too good to be true, I mean, there are cases in which we're talking to homeowners and they throw out a number that just sounds crazily different than what maybe the Zillow price is or what we think the price is, um, you know, actually going to sell for. Um, and we, we like to usually get second or third opinions to make sure that we're looking at the thing right, because usually there's something more than meets the eye. Maybe there's foundational issues, liens on the property, maybe there's custodi custodial issues, clouds on title. So um, when, when it does seem good, too good to be true, we generally like to opt for a second or third opinion. All right. 
Um, so flipping property can be very lucrative, but it's also, the, the, I guess the higher the reward, the higher the risk. Sure. Well, and I mean, kind of going with that is like going back to the partnership. There's nothing wrong with going to a seasoned realtor or somebody that has experience doing this and then vetting it out through them, right? If the numbers make sense and the deal's there and the motivation's there and everything checks off, then again, still pass it by somebody that's experienced, right? And then they can help you tell if it's a unicorn situation or maybe they give you some advice again to look at it through a different lens. And then once you do identify that it's a flip, yes, it can be lucrative, but finding the opportunity isn't always the easiest. And and I think advice that I give a lot of flippers is have a plan B mm-hmm. because you never know when the market's going to turn. So I remember one I did 15, 20 years ago. Um, I was going to just flip that property, but things didn't go as planned. It took longer to get it going, and by the time it did, the market had turned. So I turned to plan B, and that is I kept it as a long-term rental, and it's I still have it today, and it, it's done well as a rental. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's going back to knowing your your goal and your exit strategies of the property, right? So when we say exit, I think that's something that we often forget to, to elaborate on. Exits are your what you just talked about. Are you going to flip the property? Are you going to hold the property? Are you just going to keep it and then put it back on the market and not do any work? Are you going to sell it to another investor? So there's exits that we like, so to speak, call mm-hmm. them. But it's just, like you said, having a plan B, plan C, plan D in case things hit the fan and you're not really ready. You just want to make sure that you have multiple exit strategies so if things do turn you can turn to the next plan all right and when we get back from our next commercial break i want to talk about holding the property and property management how do you work with uh the landlord tenant relationship and and things like that so stay tuned to welcome home radio thank you and i'm proud to be an american where at least i know i'm free and i won't the men who died who gave that right to me well welcome back to welcome home radio this is don scordino your host and we're here in the studio on this bright and sunny saturday morning okay so it's not bright and sunny but it is a very nice saturday morning a little cold, huh? It was a little. Cold. Dylan, you're in a t-shirt. What's the deal here? Uh, I, I, you got me sweating over here asking all these hard questions. <laughs> all right. Um I have Bo and Dylan Miracle in here from Miracle Realty. We've been talking about investing. Now, let's talk about the investor who chooses to hold the property. Um, and that's their goal, but they need to manage the property. Um, ah, but first of all, I want to go, Dylan, you had something you said previously about holding a property. Yeah. You, you know what I'm talking about? If Warren Buffett's. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was either Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger. I want to give that disclaimer because uh, I'm probably wrong. Or but, it could be Dylan Miracle. Yeah, maybe it's Dylan Miracle. Maybe if they're not listening, it's Dylan Miracle. <laughs> wink, wink. Uh, but the Charlie Munger or Warren Buffett said, money's not made in the buy or the sell. It's made in the wait. In the wait. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and that's something great about um, real estate uh, investing is that it's – Long term, yeah. it appreciates. Sure, um, I've got some statistics here somewhere. 
uh, I'll get to them. But if you would have bought the median price home back in 2008, it was 200,000. If you in here um, in 2023, so 15 years later, it's 400,000. Not bad to have that thing double. 100%. Plus, it made money uh, monthly. Absolutely. For, uh, right. So uh, deferred gratification versus immediate gratification. If somebody needs to have money right now, real estate may not do it because by the following year, it dropped to 150 yeah. uh, if you went to 2008. Uh, to 2009. Um, all right. So getting into property management and, and that waiting. So you're going to wait 20 years, 30 years to keep that property. How do you manage the, the asset in that time? So my recommendation would always be to hire a property management company. Um, I, don't, I don't manage my own properties. I think that landlord direct to tenant uh, relationship can get a little muddy sometimes and uh, everybody has a different uh, take on it. But uh, vetting out a good property management company that will preserve your asset for you and help you in the long term growth of that asset. Mm -hmm. You know, and that means like, again, you know, somebody that's personal, maybe you like that person as a landlord. Right. And you don't want to raise their rent. So. 10 years down the road, you could be at $2,000 a month and you're still at 1000 which we do see with people that rent out their own properties. I've seen that before. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we, we have a client right now. Um, her mom was a, you know, a, a small mom and pop type investor and um, they had said that they had their tenant in there for 30 years and she finally moved out because she had to go to a retirement home. And they're like, why, why in the heck? They're like, yeah, we didn't get it. She, she could have bought the house three times over. And we're like, well, what were you guys charging her? And then they said three hundred dollars, and I'm like, okay, well, nobody would have left for three hundred dollars, <laughs> right? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. So a property manager can take the, uh, well, kind of do the hard stuff, which might be uh, handling repairs, yeah. handling the uh, rental increases, which can be difficult to sure, do. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give it and I'll try to give it in the speaking in layman's terms, I guess. <clears throat> it's just like the reason why we advocate for getting a realtor. Anybody can go sell their house for sale by owner. But if you're not on the MLS, you're probably not going to have the greatest advocacy or the greatest exposure. Right. Nextly, with the property manager, you could rent out the house yourself. But do you have the systems, the softwares? Are you up to date on all the things that need to be taken care of? Like you said, work orders, uh, tenant walkthroughs every six months, having an inspections, keeping track of all the money, keeping track of the deposit. You know, there there's certain things that, again, you can't just throw any Tom, Dick or Harry into a home. There's an application process. And, right? and and to stem off that, too, I mean, being in California, we're a lot more tenant friendly than we are landlord friendly and where that becomes important to the average mom and pop investor is if you're not documenting these things, you're not having proper deposits or t proper leases in place. If things do hit the fan and maybe you have a tenant landlord dispute or disagreement, the it's probably going to be setting on the side of the, the tenant. And especially if you don't have all the proper documentation or the proper things in place, you're, you can put yourself at risk. And so hiring a property manager, although it seems like a cost is mitigating that risk for the future. Yeah. And that's where you kind of, again, mitigate, 
all the horror stories of why people say, well, I would never do that because my grandpa yep. had that one tenant and That's they were in there for two years. Right. And the, the reason is, is because they managed it themselves. Right. They they didn't know the proper procedures or the laws or how to, you know, facilitate exiting those people out of the property. And, and when you're hiring a property manager, whether it's us or somebody else, you want to look for a pit bull. You want a pit bull for a property manager that's not afraid to handle these disputes and be the middleman there. Because if you have someone that's very, very nice and kind of a tree hugger type, they're probably not going to be advocating for you as harsh because it is a, it's a tough job, but it's a job that's required. Yeah. It's not sexy at all. Yeah, so you want somebody that will advocate for you, the property owner. Yeah, yeah, and there, there's a ton of stuff that goes into it, right? I mean, from application process to move in to tenant walkthroughs <clears throat> to move out. I mean, those are processes, again, that when I ask some people that manage their property, when's the last time you walked through it? Oh, you know, I, I, I walked through it probably five years ago. Five years ago, you haven't seen your property? Oh, my gosh. Whereas, like, a property management company, uh, every six months we do a, uh, a tenant walkthrough, and we document it. We take pictures. We upload it to the system. We give it to our, our landlords. To, to talk on why that's important, though, is similar to the landlord that says, I haven't seen it in five years. Well, the tenants haven't complained. A lot of times we see tenants are afraid to tell their landlord that something happened because they're afraid that they're going to be charged for it. So a lot of times it'll be swept under the rug. And so when they go to see their property for the first time in five years, they go, there's a leak. The, the AC is not working. They, they, you know, there's seven pets now. There's a lot of things that kind of go swept under the rug. So, and I'm actually, this is real time stuff that happens and yeah. when, when we're doing every six month inspections, we can be at the forefront of problems that are already now starting to preexist. Okay. We test, we test water things. We test, you know, okay. We look at, there's a little bit of mold coming there. Why is that happening? So we can be at the forefront of that. So it's not an expense that, you know, is five, six, $7,000 later down the road. And it's only a couple hundred dollar fix now. Yeah. Cause it adds up. Yeah. So, okay. So a good, property owner would want to take care of problems early yeah a lot less expensive than cleaning up the mess afterwards yeah yeah and, and yet there are so many renters that feel like ah, there i don't want to bother the property sure. owner or the property manager mm. uh, or they're going to be mad at me they're going to boot me out of here yeah. yeah speaking of booting somebody out there's a lot of new california laws yeah um can't just boot somebody out anymore. Mm -hmm. Tell us what the current situation is. Well, I mean, as far as just current laws, I mean, I think that they are getting a little bit more, I guess, there's scrutiny there that is making it a lot more challenging for the everyday landlord, right? Like you said earlier, that the tenant has the lot, a lot of the rights, and it's always been that way in California. But more so now, you, you can't just evict somebody because you want to do a remodel or you want to move into the property. You know, they're, you're going to have to go through some finer red tape now to kind of get those people out of your home. Because, again, California really presents tenant-friendly uh, laws that definitely don't make it easy for landlords. Yeah. Um, now, if somebody doesn't pay their rent, what? how do you get somebody out for uh delinquent rent yeah so i mean with that you know uh, that's going back to what dylan was saying with being on the forefront of the situation i mean if if after the fifth day or whatever your lease might say for example if they're late then at that point you would serve the what's called a three-day pay or quit but then therefore after you have to again send the appropriate documentation therefore after whereas before it was just kind of a simpler process but now there's like almost a three-stage process of paperwork that you have to do in order to get the rent and if they don't pay at that point 
then you need to turn the paperwork over to a, a local attorney to basically mitigate and follow through with an eviction. All right. And, and I just, uh, the most obvious breach of contract would be not paying rent, but there's other breaches of contract like caring for the property. Can mm -hmm. you elaborate on that at all? Yeah, 100%. So again, kind of going back to doing a tenant walkthrough, right? A lot of people say maybe that's invasion of privacy or whatever the case is, but it's for both the tenant and the landlord. 100%. For, for one, like you said, mold, and you want to make sure that the house is remaining habitable for one, uh, that the landlord's up obtaining their responsibilities. But for example, if you go on a six month inspection, there's 17 cars on the property, right? They live on an acre. They, they're not registered. Well, in their lease, it states that they all have to be registered and insured vehicles on the premises. Well, if they're in violation of that, then you can serve them basically uh, a form that states that they need to correct that and they have so many days to do so. And if they don't, then they're in violation of their lease. Then at that point, again, if it's not corrected, then at that point you would have the right to basically uh, do an eviction. All right. Thank you. We are going to go to our next commercial break, but when we get back, I want to talk to you about how does somebody acquire investment properties. So we might go into some seller financing, lease options, and other things like that. All right, stay tuned to Welcome Home Radio, 940 KYNO. Welcome back to Welcome Home Radio. This is Don Scordino, your host. Here in the studio, we have Dylan Miracle and Bo Miracle, father and son. Now, I got to ask a question to the dad. Bo, how did you get Dylan into real estate? Because I tried with my son and uh, I said, Stephen, you ever think about a career in real estate? No. I said, why not? He goes, I don't want to work that hard. Come on, it's not hard work, is it? Well, I think it is hard work for sure. Um, but uh, to, to be honest, I, I think that I had a little bit of a cheat sheet. I knew that uh, as a kid, uh, I didn't really listen to my parents, but I listened <laughs> to everybody else. So what I did is I used influences that I knew Dylan kind of looked up to, and I'd have them reach out to him and kind of plant the seed a little bit because he was a little resistant in the beginning. Um, but then all of a sudden, uh, all of a, all of a sudden something had changed, but it was because he'd listened to these other people and they'd be like, dad, can you believe what this guy said? And I was like, well, damn, you know, that's pretty good advice. <laughs> you know what I'm hearing from this is Bo, you were a lot smarter than I was. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, what, what were some of those influences, Dylan? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of it was just like that, you know, I, I have always struggled with belief. So a lot of them were just kind of saying like, hey, if you really committed to this, you could be successful and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, since I was a young, young kid, I was always very entrepreneurial. So um, kind of just hearing that I could be successful in something and people believed in me was kind of the bigger um, thing that led me to want to do it. All right. I was kicking and screaming along the way, though. There you go. <laughs> Let's get into, like I said in the last segment, we're going to talk about how somebody can get involved in um, investing. So if you go to your bank, your mortgage company, and say, I want to buy this investment home, what, what expectations would you have as far as the type of financing, how much down payment and such? Well, I mean, I think now 
the banks have gotten a little bit more creative themselves. Um, so there is opportunities depending on, uh, again, which professional uh, lender you speak to or realtor. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, the traditional is what you hear is the 20%, right? So look forward to the 20% plus closing costs. So simple math, whatever the purchase price, 20% plus closing costs. So, but nowadays, I mean, there is different styles of loans. You can do 5%, you can do a second home. So there's other opportunities, but, uh, you know, more so, uh, there's also direct to the seller, depending on on what you're looking for. Yeah, and so if you already if you already have a home, I mean, a, a good way to use uh, to use the equity that you have in your home is you can do a HELOC, um, and you can basically use that for for a down payment on on another property. It's kind of the, a way to house hack your way into more real estate. Um, we typically try to do more direct direct to seller, which is us going directly to the people that we think might be motivated to sell. That's typically how we acquire yeah. assets. And other house hack, when someone says they want to become an investor or they want to have their first rental, when did you buy your house? COVID. Great. What's your interest rate? 3%. Great. Turn that into a rental and let's go upgrade you to another house. Yeah. Okay. I like that <laughs> philosophy because I'm hearing out there, people are saying, oh, people are rate locked. Mm -hmm. In other words, they love their 3% interest rate more than they love their home. So they're going to stay in that house that doesn't fit anymore um, ra rather than lose the interest rate. But you're giving an alternative here. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, and I was challenged with it as, a, as an experienced real estate investor, realtor, broker, uh, all the above. But I sold my own personal residence, right? And so uh, I had a 3% interest rate VA loan because I'm a veteran. Uh, and my payments were $1,000 a month and I could have rented it out for 23. So to me, as, a, as an experienced investor, that was a home run, no, no brainer. But kind of like what we were talking off the air, you know, I was kind of challenged with, well, what if I take that equity, I get that get out of jail free card opportunity with that, you know, not having to pay capital gains. And so the only way I was able to justify that move and selling my own residence because I bought another primary was I needed to go buy another rental. So I took that equity and I did, in fact, go buy another rental. So, again, there's different strategies, but the easiest one that I just said is if you have 3% and you, you have an opportunity to, to basically create cash flow and preserve a rental, go get your new primary residence. Okay. So for our listeners out there who might be thinking, man, I've got a great interest rate of 3% or even 2.5%, uh, I don't want to leave it. Well, don't leave it, keep it, but use that home as a rental. Um, talk to a good property manager who can walk you through the whole thing and go buy another one. Of course, the key to that is you gotta have some money or available money for the down payment on, on the new one. And you and you may have an opportunity to use a HELOC. If you bought it during COVID, you, you're probably seeing a significant <laughs> amount of appreciation. So um, you can basically get a little bit of a HELOC and you don't have to use all of it, but you could use a portion of it and whatever money that you saved up to kind of get you into the next home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, that's a that's an easy way to scale and double down with taking opportunity from your primary residence, keeping the low interest rate, and then again, you know, making it advantageous to your second home. Let's say somebody finds a, um, a good property out there um, that they want to buy as an investment. But the seller says, oh, I'm not so sure I want to sell because what am I going to do with all that money, the capital gains and all? So there's a thing called seller financing. Mm -hmm. 
Tell us about that. I'm going to let Dylan run with this one. He has a pretty good script. <laughs> I typically like to, I mean, it really depends on what the, what the motivation is of the seller, right? Um, if, if they say, like you just said, their goal is, well, I don't want to, I don't want to sell it because I don't want Uncle Sam to take 30% of my, my earnings. I also don't know what I'm going to do with the money. So then we say, well, I mean, if you're selling, if you don't want to sell because you like the cash flow, then why don't we just upgrade you to the bank? So in every transaction, who makes all the money in, in real estate? The banks always make the most money without any of the risk, right? So what the ultimate goal is to get true passive income. That's why a lot of people get into real estate. So let's get you into that actually true passive income and upgrade you to the bank. We'll take all the responsibility of the property over and all you have to worry about is getting a check every single month. Now the benefit to that is you still, cause now you're creating a note that produces cash flow. And the biggest benefit of that is you, are getting that cash flow without any maintenance of the property. You're paying no property taxes. Now, Uncle Sam only takes a portion of what you get and the money that you collect. So say you do 10 grand down and then you do $1,000 a month. He's only gonna take nibbles of your snacks as opposed to 30% of your meal when you cash out fully. Yeah, then overall the interest that you accumulate over time, depending on how long of a turn that you do decide to hold it for, I mean, can be very, very significant. And you're, and you're essentially making way more money than if you were to sell it right now anyways, if your goal is to not collect all the money now, because if we sold it for 200 and you have a five, six, percent interest rate or even lower than that, you're still over a course of 20 years, you're still probably going to be making three or $400,000 on that, on that same property. Okay. Now people have heard out there, uh, a lease option to buy. What's that like? So I think lease options are, uh, you know, something that's been around for a long time. Uh, I know you only been doing this for a short time, Don, but I'm sure you heard of it back in the day as well. <laughs> and so lease option. I am laughing on that. Le <laughs> lease option, you know, gives an entryway level to not just an investor, but to the consumer that wants to get a primary residence that maybe doesn't have the the three and a half percent down or whatever the case is. And maybe this this uh, owner wants to, to make some money. So they basically say they have a predicted price. We're going to sell it to you for this, and we're going to collect payments at interest. Or there's no interest. It's, it's uh, interest only. Whatever that looks like, and there's options there. And for the, for the seller, like he was saying, it's really like the bank. They have all the power. So depending on how you negotiate that or write that up, I mean, lease option is a great way for a, a brand new primary residence uh, buyer to get into a property easily. All right. Thank you. You know, we only have a couple minutes left in the show, so I want to ask you, and I'm going to start with you, Dylan, Sure. because um, I know you're not shy on words or anything, <laughs> but what do you want our listeners to remember most about today's show? Yeah, I think uh, real estate's for everybody, and I think that you can't try to fit real estate. You have to make real estate fit you. Um, so I think the biggest thing that you could do in real estate is being authentic to yourself, and I think that um, you attract a lot of people when doing that and being genuine. Um, the second part I would say to that um, is because real estate is for everyone. What I would say to shortcut your path to success is connect yourself with people um, that are doing big things that you admire in the space because that'll shortcut your path to go because you kind of they've been there, done that, and you can get all the lessons without any of the scars. All right. Thank you, Dylan. How about you, Bo? What do you want people to remember most about today's discussion? I, I want I want everybody to know that real estate investing can be for everybody. A lot of people think that you have to have a lot of money and they just they can't do the do, but it, it is for everybody. But it's like Dylan said, you got to connect yourself with the people that that know real estate investing or know real estate to help you either get a primary residence and or uh, that first rental. Mm -hmm. 
And that makes me think of a guy I know. He's a general contractor. And I told him, I said, man, you know, I have never seen you swing a hammer yet. He goes, Don, it's not what you know. It's who you know. So the who you know is very important in this whole thing. Too. 100%. Yeah. Okay. We only have a minute left. Quick uh, best advice, Bo. Uh, best advice, again, is, is uh, make sure you surround yourself with good people and don't always be the smartest person in the room. All right. How about you, Dylan? Uh, I'd say, since we only have a few few seconds left, I'd say uh, best advice is connect with us uh, on social media. If you want to learn more, you can reach me at Dillionaire321 on Instagram. All right. Hey, thank you guys very much for coming in. Most of all, thank you to our listeners for tuning in and uh, making our 16th year in on the radio um, possible. Appreciate it. We'll be back again next week. Thank you.